I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBSI Views podcast. SteelEye's annual compliance health check report shows 76% of respondents saying compliance costs have risen in the past year. AI maybe can help in the form of an integrated surveillance solution, as perhaps the following example shows in conversation with Matt Smith, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of SteelEye. If I said to you, let's play squash after work, what am I actually saying? <laughs> is, that, is that a question? <laughs> that is indeed a question. And I start there because that was the question that apparently was used in sharing sensitive market information by a Goldman Sachs investment banker with his squash partner who worked at Barclays. But it's just an indication of the scale of the problem. Can you quantify the issues that you're having to tackle. I, I, I love that you began there because like being able to distinguish and identify uh, signals around insider trading and other market manipulation strategies is increasingly difficult, but it's not, it's not new in that type of context, right? I remember working for um, the Royal Bank of Scotland Investment Bank back in the early 2000s, and we had a a scenario where to and we had we, at the time we had pretty good monitoring capabilities for where technology was back then but we had two 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 traders from two institutions who were communicating with each other on the comment section of articles on the FT website and, and as a result like how would you ever find that right let alone like being able to to find the fact that you could link two people playing squash after work to uh, potential uh, illegal trading activity. But these are the kind of needles in the haystack that we have to find, or we have to do our best to find as an industry in order to protect the integrity of the markets. Um, so the challenges we face today is being able to look at some data, which is very kind of identifiable and structured, like trading activity. Sure, we know an order went in and a trade took place and a market movement took place and uh, news came out that might be relevant to a particular asset class that was traded, which would give you a signal. We know if somebody says something, whether it's in um, a Zoom call or in a Bloomberg chat or in an email or a voice call, something that would be relatively and even potentially difficult to identify, but we, we can identify signals that would give a compliance organization the desire to, 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 to dig deeper. But it's the soft stuff that you have to look at and try to figure out, like the fact that somebody every Sunday at the end of the month plays poker with a friend of his. And we know that because there's a calendar invite. And then just so happens within the days following that trading activity takes place that actually looks suspicious. How do you link all of that information together to create those signals? The complicating factor, as much as anything else, to add to everything you've just said, is that investment banks, investment managers operate across multiple jurisdictions in multiple languages. And you've got to try and make sense of that as well, at the same time as you're trying to manage what's happening in, well, English, frankly. But, but multi-language is a problem that the world grapples with. We're a global economy with global markets, with global operators in those markets. And as a result, you, you will see um, uh, many scenarios where you do have to identify potential risk 
through multilingual cap- capabilities. So, you know, like in, in our platform, uh, we handle the ability to identify language switching and calls as an example. So, um, I, I mean, a great place for this is uh, Singapore, where, you know, you, you might have um, a call taking place in in uh, Mandarin, switching to English, to Malay, to Singaporean. And, and as people are jumping back and forth with lots of slang, um, it's very easy for important signals to get lost. And part of our job as a solutions provider, as we invest in R&D, is to look at ways to streamline that. And and, and a big part of what we do, by, by the way, Robin, is, is trying to figure out how to uh, enable compliance organizations work through huge amounts of data and information um, as efficiently as a, a, and effectively as possible. Cut down uh, the friction to identifying risk, cut down the complexity and costs that organizations are facing, especially if you're a global financial firm. You know, you're dealing with regulators all around the world with slightly differing views on what's important and what's a priority. Everybody's trying to achieve the same thing, which is to ensure integrity in in the market and prevent financial crime. Um, but uh, regulators around the world do it slightly differently. So, so it's, a, it's a big challenge for financial firms. Well, let's talk about the technology that is hopefully allowing you to tackle this problem, large language models. What does the large language model offer and how is it a potential solution to this problem? Well, LLMs or or generative AI isn't new, right? Like uh, this technology has been out there and available and utilized in in varying degrees um, uh, for for many years. In fact, you know, the first true utilization of of generative AI or LLMs was actually in 1966. And there was an MIT professor called Joseph Weizenbaum who created a chatbot called Eliza. And it was the first time a human through a computer could ask a, a written question and get a written response that almost seemed human. Now, many years have gone on, right? And and we're just about two weeks away from uh, when OpenAI changed the world. Now, OpenAI didn't change the world in the context of creating something that is is great what they've created and and really meaningful, but it wasn't like they were the first to it. They were the first group to make AI capabilities like this freely and readily available to the world. Uh, So it was uh, 30th of November last year that OpenAI launched ChatGPT to the world. And, And within months, this, this is something I, I was even having conversations with my mother about, right? Like it's uh, it's available to everybody. People were talking about it and learning from it. What it did was open the eyes of the financial markets, the world, like at, at every level. I mean, to the point where they, they were, there were governments like Italy who were like banning the utilization of, uh, of chat GPT. You, you can't open something like this up and, and take it back. I mean, the box is now open. And we'd be foolish to 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 not em, embrace it as as a world because it's there and it's there there to stay. I I recently had um, lunch with a the, a professor at a, a large university, global university in North America, and um, he had um, invested in some technology that looks for the utilization of AI in documents. So where so it's trying to identify where actually a human didn't write that. 
And, and there's signals that you can find in that. And he's like, yeah. And I told told my students, like, as you submit your um, rep- uh, reports or, or whatever it is, like, I'll be looking for this using this technology. And, and if you if you've used it, get ready to to get a zero. And I said to him, like, why would you do that? Right? Like, the world has changed. That this technology is now part of how humans are going to operate and be effective in this world. You want them to be educated on how to leverage it to become more efficient and more effective at what they do. It's like it's like a, a math student when the calculator was invented. I'm sure uh, over the years, there's many people who, who studied math where their professors would say you can't use calculators in, in, in your work. Well, the reality is a calculator makes a human way more effective at working through numerical information than without it. And these technologies, generative models, are going to make humans more efficient. Now, when when we applied it into um, our solution in the past, when when uh, and we're, we're in regulatory and compliance, room. so what we do is we we aggregate data. So we bring in communications, voice, email, WhatsApp, Slack, Bloomberg chats, all these different things, and all the trading activity. So orders and, and and trade executions and market data and news. We have all of this together. What our objective has been is how do we make a compliance professional and a compliance organization more effective at finding the things that are relevant to seek out and prevent market manipulation of financial crime. Now, in the past, when people in my space, in the surveillance space, communications and trade surveillance space, looked at AI, they always took a view, let's use it to find something the human eye can't see. Now, that's relevant and important. That's not going away. Our core focus has been how do we actually make that compliance professional more efficient and effective at assessing large and vast and complex data sets to make decisions faster. Yeah, it's managing the data set is the challenge. It's manageable, but it's manageable if you've got six months to do it in. You don't have six months to do it in. Exactly. And that there there is is the challenge. And, you know, like uh, as you, you, you start to, I mean, like take the context of, of uh, the the call we're we're having now, right? So we uh, somebody could be having a, a business meeting on a Zoom call that's half an hour long, and during that half an hour, uh, lots of discussion takes place. Lots of information is shared. Um, let's say something is shared that creates a trigger to the Zoom call, and it says at this point in time, Matt said to Robin something that could be construed as insider trading. Now, the next step, once that trigger and that alert has been generated, a compliance professional's job then is, as, as they receive that, that trigger from a surveillance platform, is to go and assess it. So first thing that you're going to do, you might have transcription, likely you'll have transcription. It might be multi-language, so there's a bit of jumping between multiple, multiple languages. So you want to get that all translated, which today's technology like Steeleye automatically does. Then you'd have to kind of work through what took place. Now, the way we've deployed uh, generative AI is in twofold. And, and, and actually, the, the, the original point when we really started looking at how, how to use this in this way was it was last January, I was being interviewed by a journalist. And the journalist asked me, what's my strategy for ChatGPT? And I looked at, uh, at him and I said, what do you mean what's my strategy? It's been around for a month. I, I, but I, I was thinking about it and I got thinking further. So I came back to the office and I spoke to uh, Matt Story, who's my chief product officer. Uh, and I said, Matt, what's our um, strategy for ChatGPT? And he gave me the exact same response. 
What do you mean? It's only been around for a month. But this is real and it's meaningful and things are moving fast. A couple of weeks later, Matt came back with our first deployment of chat GPT capabilities in our system. Now, this is using OpenAI, so it requires data to go out of my environment, our, our client's data. So people have to sign up to uh, contractual addendums, and they have to recognize when they click a button, information is leaving our, our system and, and a return is coming back. But what we did was ask nine questions to, to ChatGPT. And the way ChatGPT and engineering and, and GPT models work is what we call prompt engineering. There's no coding in it. It's asking the question in the right way to get the most accurate response. And, and you ask a question in the wrong way, you're going to get the wrong response. And you have to spend a lot of time really thinking through and, and, and assessing to get to the point where you're getting the most accurate, accurate response. And ChatGPT, by the way, wants to please you. So when you ask it a question, it wants to give you the answer it thinks you're looking for. So you're actually, as you're doing prompt engineering, you're thinking about how to tell it to challenge you, not just please you. But we asked it, so on a communication, let's take a, a one-hour phone call. Summarize it. In a paragraph, within seconds, it can tell you the phone call, and let's pretend this is the phone call. Uh, Matt and Robin were speaking about the evolution of artificial intelligence and how it applies to the financial markets. And then it goes into more detail. Second question. Matt actually started to talk about some of the nuances and history, but it gives you more information and context. And then for us, because we're a compliance solutions offering, as a compliance professional, is there something I should be concerned about? Well, yes, at 10 minutes and 42 seconds into the call, Matt said to Robin something that could be insider information about his company that Robin then may use to make an investment in something. Then it goes into sent the next query is like analytics, a so sentiment, like who was involved, the companies and participants, it's Matt and Robin, or Matt from Steeleye and Robin from IBS. Um, it might uh, say the sentiment of the call was uh, initially quite relaxed, but Matt got really excited as he started to tell more about what, what uh, Steeleye was doing uh, when it comes to generative AI. And then the final bit is, what are my next steps? So as a compliance professional, you should think about this. You should be looking at trading activity between IBS and Steeleye and Matt Smith and, and, and Robin. And then it finally goes as far as to draft an email to whoever they're, they're looking at in the organization from the compliance professional. Dear Matt, I'm the compliance officer at Steeleye. I'd like to know more about the conversation you had with uh, Robin on uh, whatever date in, in November. Please respond as soon as possible from compliance professional. So it's making that, and, and that all happens in seconds. So within seconds, rather than listening to an hour and a half or a half an hour phone call, uh, the compliance professional gets a breakdown of what took place, where there might be risks, and what to do next. I happened to be in Hong Kong for the Hong Kong FinTech Week, and we launched Steelize Compliance Copilot. What this is, is the next evolution of that thing that we had built earlier in the year, which was hugely valuable. And there's two important components to why for us and for our client base, this is meaningful. One is we brought generative AI into our ecosystem. So no longer do our clients have to press a button and send stuff into open AI, which people are worried about sending stuff out. It's now all wrapped up in, in a secure, comprehensive environment. So it becomes more accessible to the, the broader client base. Uh, obviously, with good reason, some of our clients didn't want to sign an addendum or send data out. Now they don't have to because it's, it's, it's in. The second thing is we really took a, a new journey with how do we make it, the compliance professional more efficient? Uh, risk scoring. So it can identify, is there 100% risk 
in a communication that would lead you to know that actually something nefarious took place within that communication that you have to look at. And then it gives you a priority ranking down. So as a compliance professional, you start obviously from the highest risk and work your way down. It starts to identify where people are switching languages very clearly. So it's like, at this point, they were speaking Spanish, and then it went to Portuguese, and then it went to English, and then it went to French. Sentiment all the way through the call, really like starting to give a lot more context to that compliance professional beyond just like explain what took place, like how much risk is here. And that's the kind of thing that is going to speed up the process. You already talk about speeding up the process, but it's going to allow institutions and their compliance departments actually to begin to manage their jobs properly because it's got to be the case that right now there's plenty of these actions slipping through the cracks absolutely and and for, for sure and, and that's the thing because there's so much information and, and to do what what we're doing here right like we, we have a consolidated system where communications and trades are in one place most uh financial organizations will have a whole bunch of systems, maybe two trade surveillance systems, a voice system, an email system, a Bloomberg system, a, a, a WhatsApp system, all fragmented. So like to, to be able to analyze that data in one place, let, let alone be able to use generative AI is a big problem for them. You know, I've spent a lot of time with regulators around the world, the FCA, ASIC, SEC, FINRA, uh, ESMA, you, you name it, HKMA mass in Singapore, like like they're all looking for explainability and alerts. When we look at AI, you can't use it to, to make decisions for you. You can't rely on it solely to identify risk. It's a utility. It's a tool. ChatGPT passed the bar exam this year. So it's capable of digesting the, and, and understanding the information across the whole bar academic portfolio. But could it sit in front of a, a courtroom of its peers, our peers, should I say, because uh, it's not real, uh, and litigate? No, it can't. Um, but a lawyer with ChatGPT using it to break through information will be so much more efficient, faster, and effective at getting to the point where they can stand in front of a courtroom of peers and litigate. Matt Smith, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of SteelEye. 